Well, we thank God for the cross, amen? We'll see a picture of that cross in what we're studying today. So we're in the Heroes of the Faith, so if you'll start turning to Hebrews chapter 11, today we're going to talk about Abraham. And I know some of you might be saying, wait a minute, didn't we already talk about Abraham? Uh, Well, the answer to that is yes. Uh, Yes, we did. Uh, The writer of Hebrews already has mentioned uh, Abraham, and the first time he commends Abraham for his willingness to trust in God uh, in, in the promise to have multiple descendants, innumerable descendants, and he trusted Abraham to leave his homeland, to go to a land that he would show him, and to live no longer as a rich man as he was, but to live as a, as a, a stranger, a pilgrim. And, and then not only that, he commends him for waiting decades for the, for the promise of one son, and that was Isaac. And he waited for that promise. And, and uh, so this time, though, God turns our attention to what happens after that. In fact, it has to do with that very son that God provided for him. So if you're in Hebrews 11 uh, at this point, let, uh, let's look at verses 17 through 19, and we'll read those together. We read this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You know, this is one of the most baffling stories of the Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, this story that, that, we're, uh, that we're about really in the Bible. Uh, in fact, at first glance, if you just do a casual reading of this story that, that, uh, that we, we find about Abraham and offering up of, of Isaac, uh, you do a casual reading of the story, then m- one might read things into the character of God that just are not true. Uh, have you ever heard that? Uh, and you've seen, seen that uh, or even questioned it yourself? Um, and, and we find that. And God is asking Abraham to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Doesn't that seem to contradict the very nature of God at first glance? Anyone else struggle with that a little bit? Uh, it seems out of character. In fact, we go a little bit later in God's word, and, and, uh, and Moses was told by God himself, he said, I- I'm l- allowing you to remain as slaves in Egypt a little bit longer because the people in the land of Canaan are not bad enough to deserve to be displaced yet. And he waits until what happens in that place? He waits until the, the people in the land of Canaan start offering their children up as sacrifices to their god Molech. And that's the point where God says, now they're bad enough. I'm going to liberate my people from Egypt and they're going to come and take over the land of Canaan. So we know where God's heart is on this. And yet here we find something that seems contradictory in nature because God is asking Abraham to, to offer up his son at a sacrifice. And, and that's why we should not rely on a casual reading of the Scripture. Amen? Because the answer to that is found in Scripture if we look for it. And so we'll take a cue from uh, our psalmist who tells us uh, that we should look for the truth as we do a hidden treasure. So we're going we're gonna to dig in uh, today to look at this story, understand it. So let's take a closer look together. Let's dissect these three verses together a little bit. So let's go back to verse 17 and look at that one more time. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. This was quite a test of Abraham's faith, 
wasn't it, for God to ask this. Well, let's go to the original text. Keep your finger here because we're going to come back to, to Hebrews 11. Keep something in here. And, uh, and then let's also go back to Genesis. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 22 to, to look at the original story, to see what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And so in Genesis chapter 22, this is what we read in the first two verses. Now it came to pass after these things. Let me just stop there for a moment. After what things? Uh, this is after um, Abraham had waited for a son and God gave him, um, gave him a son. And, uh, or God gave him a son eventually here. But uh, what we find in this context, let's continue um, uh, to read, is this. Now after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, then he said, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Let me just stop there for a moment too. It, it's interesting that God calls him his only son. This is just a side note because at that point he did have a son, but he had that son through an improper relationship. And so a lot of people read, uh, read into uh, uh, the, the, the narrative portions of Scripture and they see that sin is done and they think, does that mean that it, since it's in God's word that it's okay? And it doesn't. Oftentimes, the, the scriptures accurately tells us what happened, but it's left to look at the greater context to find out if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And so we, we, we find clearly here that that was not uh, a bad thing. Now notice, God did not curse Ishmael for it. It's not Ishmael's problem. It was a problem between Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, right? In fact, God blessed Ishmael. Uh, God uh, gave him and blessed him as a nation too. And, and, and actually his sons became 12 princes and uh, they became the Arabic nations, right? God blessed them and blessed their descendants. So uh, it's, it, it wasn't his fault. But, uh, but we, see, we see that God was looking at Isaac as, as the only son because it was the only son of his marriage. Let's continue to read. Uh, uh, then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wow, what a, what a test of, of Abraham's faith this was. And, and what we find is, is that Abraham was told to offer up his own beloved son. He said, the son whom you love, your own beloved son as a sacrifice. Put yourself in Abraham's situation for just a moment, and God has promised to make descendants out of you, has promised to make nations out of you, and after years, decades of waiting, he finally blesses you with a son, and now God says, Abraham, here's a test for your faith. I want you to offer your son to me as a sacrifice. How many of us would be willing to say, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, I'd be will willing to offer up my own. Boy, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, right? What, a, what a, 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 a difficult thing. And so we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? What's going on here? What is, what is God asking? What is God asking him to do? I mean, Abraham, see, Abraham knew the purpose behind sacrifices, right? This had been passed down. We saw this all the way from Adam and Eve on down, right? Uh, with, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God offered the first sacrifice. He created the first sacrifice, and animals were killed so that their skins could cover up their sin. This was the first example uh, of sacrifices. We saw it with Cain and Abel. Clarify that it has to be the, the, a blood sacrifice. Why? Because the penalty for sin is death. That's the nature of sin, and, na and, and sin causes death. And so we see that in the, the story of Cain and Abel, that, that the sacrifices are for atonement of sin, and now he is told he must offer up his own son 
as a sacrifice. Wow, what a what a strong what a strong statement, what a strong test. What's interesting though here is if we stop and think about it, really before we can understand the gospel, we really have to understand the gravity of our sin. Did you know that? We have to understand the gravity. And I think sometimes we lose sight of it because before we, we blame God and, 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 and cast stones at him, we have to understand a couple of things. Number one, um, the payment that he was asking would have been a just payment. Think about that for a moment. It would have been a just payment. Why? Because our sin ruins everything. Does it not? Our sin, our sin ruins everything. And another thing we look at this and we say, God was not asking Abraham to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Because who does offer up their only son in the end as a sacrifice for the atonement of other people's sins? It's God himself. And, and so, so we see this holiness of God. We see the sinfulness of man. And, and, and I think we don't understand the gravity of our sin imagine if you lived a perfect life but you only sinned once God says the penalty for sin is what? it's death how is that? and I can to think in human terms take a masterpiece you know, take uh, the Mona Lisa, right? And that's a, it's considered a masterpiece, right? And, and, and people go from, come from miles and, and, and to see the Mona Lisa and, and, and to, to look at this masterpiece. Now, this is a masterpiece that doesn't even compare. Can we admit to that? It doesn't even compare to the masterpiece of creation, right? But, but this is a masterpiece on human terms. Now, imagine if I went there one day and said, you know what, I, I could see where the, 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 the painter was going. I could see where the, the one who created this work of art was going with this, but I want to add something that is my own to this masterpiece. And so I decided to paint a, just a little extra paint, maybe just one little, little bit of paint. Do you think that people would be appreciative of that? You know, do, do you think that, that at, at, you know, that 10 years down the road, you, can, you, can you picture this 10 years down the road, and you have a, a tour guide saying, this is the Mona Lisa. We, it was pretty good, but back in 2016, it was improved when, when, by Dave Grafe, who added a mustache or, or whatever, right? You know, what, when we go outside of what God has designed, we ruin his masterpiece, and we say, oh, but it's just a little bit here, a little bit there. And every person, and, and, and the next thing you know, you look at this masterpiece and it's just fallen. It's just mangled. It's a mess. And, and, uh, and, the, and so when we do that, you can imagine what the, what the penalty would be if I added a mustache to the Mona Lisa, right? Imagine what, what the penalty is when we destroy the design of God's perfect creation. And we have to understand the gravity of our sin. The penalty of sin is death. Uh, and, and that's what we deserve. It is, it's what we deserve. So now, now that we, we understand the profundity, really, of, of, of Abraham's test, we can appreciate the response. Let's look at his response in verses 3 through 10. This is what we read. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and, uh, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. But notice how many times it talks about it. This is the place where God has told him. That's important. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Uh, this, this use of the word yonder there proves that this is somewhere in Kentucky, right? I'm just kidding. It's Mariah. <laughs> um, but we see here, it's interesting what he tells, or notice what he tells the men that were with him. He says that the lad and I are going to go up to the mountain. And what does he say? We will come back to you. That kind of tips, tips his, his hand a little bit. So we can see what he's thinking just a little bit there. Verse 6 goes on. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Um, and so his son was carrying the wood. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Wow, uh, Abraham, was, uh, Abraham was going to do this, right? He, God was asking him to do something, something huge, uh, something very difficult, and, uh, and, and he was going to do this. What was going through his mind? How, how did he know? What, did he, what was going through the mind of Abraham at that time? Can you just put yourself in that position for a minute and, and think, what would be going through my mind? And I, I don't know, but, but this is what we see going on in, in his mind. And, you know, we get a few clues of what's going on in his mind. In fact, if we go uh, back to verse 8, look at what he said to his son. He said, my son, what? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God himself is going to provide. And so when we look at this, this test of, of Abraham's faith, the question that comes to my mind is, is why did Abraham believed that God would provide when God simply told him to sacrifice his son. Right? Why would, would a Abraham believe in, in what, that God was going to provide when God said, go and sacrifice your son? Isn't that what you read? That's what I read. Right? That's what, 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 what I read. So, so if, if you read this story, this portion of the story, outside of its greater context, it, this would seem like God is requiring an unreasonable faith. Can we agree on that? I mean, we hate to say that, but can you agree that if you read, there's a big if there, if you read this portion of the story outside of any other context, it seems like an unreasonable faith. In reality, though, in the greater context of the story, we see that this faith is actually completely reasonable. It's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on the character of God. Um, in fact, uh, we find clues of this back in, in uh, Hebrews 11. So let's look at Hebrews 11 one more time, verses 17 and 18. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, here's the, here's the key, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. What is that talking about? This is a reference to something that was going on in this story that we haven't referenced yet. You, know, you might remember how Sarah and Abraham tried to make God's promise come true in their own strength, 
with, and the result uh, was having Ish, Ishmael through Hagar. It was in this context back in Genesis chapter 17 that we read this. So if you want to flip there, Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. We focused on that just a few weeks ago. But look at the second half of that verse. It says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Wow, do you see the difference here? See, Abraham was already quit. By the time he got to chapter 22, he'd already lived through chapter 17, right? That's the way chronology works. (laughs) And so in chapter 17, he was told that the same promise... That, that God had given to Abraham the same promise for innumerable descendants and that he would bless those descendants. He said, I am going to give that to you through your wife. And not only through your wife, you're going to have a son named Isaac and through that son, I am going to fulfill this promise. And not only with him, but with whom? The descendants of Isaac. And, and, and so we, we see this test of, of faith and, and we, we, we have this clarification now. Uh, you see, Abraham did not know how God would provide, but he trusted that God would provide. Why was he able to do that? Because God had made that promise. Now take that promise and put that in the back of your mind and go back to the situation and put yourself in Abraham's shoes and, and imagine God has told you that he's going to bless you, but not only that, he has told you he is going to bless you through your son Isaac and through his descendants. And now God tells you, I want you to offer up your son Isaac as an offering. And so this at first seems contradictory but there's one thing that stuck in the mind of, of Abraham, and he never, never wavered in this, that somehow God is going to provide. Some, I don't know how. In fact, to what extent did he believe this? Let's go back to Hebrews 11, and, uh, verse 17 through 19, and, and catch it in context. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, Of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. And then look at verse 19. Concluding, this was his conclusion, that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead. From which he also received him in a figurative sense. Uh, What is this showing us? Uh, Again, Abraham did not know. um, uh, Abraham did not know how. God was going to provide, but he did believe that God was going to provide, even if that meant that God was going to raise him from the dead. That is a level of faith. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. How did Abraham know that? He'd already lived it, right? He saw God keep his promises. And, uh, and so he, 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 had, he lived this out in, in his life, and he, he saw that, and he concluded that, you know what? If God asks me to sacrifice Isaac, then he is going to raise him back up. And complete his promises. By the way, this is very insightful, isn't it? Because when you think about it, this whole imagery that God was creating by, by ma- making this narrative even happen is, is actually to show that one day that's exactly what God was going to do. Amen? 
He was going to give his own son on the cross. And guess what? His own son was going to die on that cross, but his own son was also going to be raised back to life, conquering death once and for all. So again, Abraham did not know how uh, God would provide, but he trusted that God would provide, even if that meant raising Isaac from the dead. Now why? Why was Abraham able to have that level of faith? Why did he have that level of faith? Well, I think we can find the answer to that if we continue to read. In fact, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 and look at verses 10 through 12. We read this. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Wow, here we see that this was, this was only a test and Abraham passed it, right? And how did he pass it? Uh, we, we see he totally trusted that God would keep his promises, even if that meant raising Isaac from the dead. And I think if, if we look back at verse 19, look at the second half of that verse. It says, concluding that God was uh, able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What, is he, what does that mean? Abraham had already lived it out. He had received Isaac, in a sense, from the dead. Now, in a figurative sense, what does he mean by that? Abraham was old, too old to have children. Sarah was old, too, too old to have children. And, and she was barren, unable to have children. And, and so, yet God, in his miraculous way, provided Isaac to him. And he's saying, just as God provided Isaac, God can raise up Isaac out of impossibility. Even if Isaac were to be killed, God could raise him up out of impossibility. Does that make sense? And so because of what God had already done in Abraham's life, he had equipped him with enough faith to handle this situation. And, and, and Abraham passed it with flying colors. And then not only that, we, at this point, we see that he had the faith that God would provide. He didn't know how. He suspected maybe God was going to, to raise him up from the dead. But look at how God did answer that. And look at verses 13 and 14. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place. In Hebrew, it's Jehovah Jireh, right? The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And Abraham understood once and for all, even if we don't understand how God is going to keep his promises, one thing we can be sure of, God will keep his promises. God will keep his word. You know, there are, two applications for us today. And I want to look at just two applications. The first one is, is for what I call the seeker. The person, there might be someone who, who, who's coming today, just checking out church, just checking it out, seeing what it's all about. Or, or, or maybe you've even been raised in church, but you've never really made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There, there, there's, a, there's an application in this for you. And, that, and that's simply this, that the object of our faith must be in the substitutionary sacrifice made by Jesus Christ on the cross. 
Let me explain that for a moment. The object of our faith, that means what we put our faith in for our, for our salvation, for our eternal life, where we put our salvation is, is in what we call the substitutionary sacrifice. Now, those are theological terms, so I'm just going to explain. What, what's a substitute in school? It's when you have a teacher who is the substitute, takes the place of another teacher, right? It's a substitute. Substitutionary sacrifice means they die in our place. That is exactly what is being represented when Abraham was offering his son, which would have been a just sacrifice, but God provides a lamb as a substitutionary sacrifice so that through him. And that's a picture of what was to come. You see, so far we've found three, we've found three uh, examples already in, in this part of Genesis uh, we've, of sacrifices. We have the sacrifice that was made for Adam and Eve. Remember that? We have the sacrifice then of Cain and Abel, and we, we saw that. And now we have the sacrifice of the substitutionary lamb. And, and each of these, when we put them together, they're all pointing towards one sacrifice, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, how we, in the, in the beginning, we just see that there has to be a sacrifice. That's all we learn in, in, with Adam and Eve. And then with Cain and Abel, we learn that it has to be a life for life, that the payment for sin is death. Now with Abraham, we learn that the only way for us to survive this is to have a substitutionary sacrifice. You know what I find interesting, too, is when you, when you look at the geography of all of this. When, when God told Abraham, go to a place that I show you. And he led Abraham, he led Isaac up to a rock. In fact, that rock still exists there today. It's, uh, there's a dome over it. It's called Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. And, and, we can, and you can find that to this day. And, uh, and he, he said, go to that place. In my family devotions right now, we're going through Deuteronomy. My, my kids could tell you that. And, and, and we've heard the same terminology all through Deuteronomy. When, when, when you go to the place where I show you to do what? To do the sacrifices. You know what we find? He takes them to the same place as he took Abraham to show the connection so that we don't miss what the picture of Abraham's sacrifice was supposed to be. And so he takes the Israelites later on in history, he takes them back to that exact same place and they put their temple right there where sacrifices were offered on a regular basis for the atonement of people's sins. And then you fast forward to Jesus Christ. And not far from that same location, Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for your sins and my sins the perfect, ultimate, substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. So if you're, if you're uh, here today, uh, I want you to understand what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Just a couple chapters earlier in Hebrews, this is what we read, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Where is that located? Right where Abraham offered Isaac. He, went, uh, he entered the most holy place once not for a year, not once, once for an annual sacrifice, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. And so, so, so if you're a seeker today, if you're, if you're questioning whether or not it's, it's worth accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to understand two things. Number one, the gravity of your sin and what you've done by any sin that you've done has offended a holy God and he can't accept sin in his presence. And the payment for that is death. And it deserves to be you. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to take your payment if we'll put our faith in him. 
And so in just a few moments, uh, if there's anyone here that's questioning that, any of you, I, I, I don't want you to leave this place without knowing for sure that you have eternal redemption, eternal life. And so in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I would ask you to come forward, or you could go to the back. We're going to have some, uh, some men and women there. They just have a little lanyard that says, Ask Me. And they can show you from God's Word how you could know for sure before you leave today that you have eternal life and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. And, and so that would be the most important decision you could make of your entire life. The second application is for those who have already accepted Jesus Christ, and you know for sure he's your, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and you know that you have eternal life. There's still an application for you, and that's even when we don't know how God will keep his promises, we can trust that he will keep them. You know, God has proven himself faithful time after time after time. And we read about how, how God made these impossible promises to Abraham. And yet, Abraham trusted in God. And did God come through? He sure did. Every single time. And I urge you, uh, I don't know what, what's going on in your life. In fact, I know what's going on in some of your lives. And, and there have been people this week that have, have received bad news about situations in their lives. And I've seen them say, you know, I don't know how God is going to keep all of his promises, but I know that he will keep all of his promises. What a testimony that is uh, to the faithfulness of God. And I don't know what you're going through. And there might be some, in, in, in a group this size, I guarantee you there are people in here that came today with tests of faith of their own. Amen? And yet, what, what, the, what we learn from Abraham is very clearly... Even when it seems impossible, there's one thing you can count on, and that is the faithfulness of God. And we, we look at all the things around us. We look at, at what's going on around us. We look at even the division in our own country right now. Is that safe to say there's division in our country? And we say, Lord, how can you, how can you be glorified through all this? But you know what? He can. He can because God always keeps his promises. Abraham is a hero of the faith. Because he was willing to risk everything, everything that mattered to him in the belief that God would somehow come through, even if, humanly speaking, he had no idea how. But isn't it awesome to serve a God who, who's, who's so far beyond us, his ways are so much higher than ours, that even when, we, when it seems like there, it's an impossible scenario, God comes through. Amen? And ultimately, that was the impossible scenario when, when he sent his son and his son died on the cross. And I know that there was a party amongst the demons at that moment on Friday. But by Sunday, everything changed. And he rose from the grave, conquered sin, purchased the place in heaven for us as our substitutionary atonement. And, and so I would invite you today, in just a moment, uh, we're going to sing, come just as you are. And I would invite you, if, if there's something going on in your life right now, if you're going through a test of faith and you just want to commit to the Lord and say, Lord, all, all I'm simply asking is that you come through. I don't know how you're going to come through, but I need you to come through. If, if you are in that test today, then I'm going to ask you to come forward today and, and, and just, just come forward. And I'm not going to bother you up here. I'm just going to ask you to come forward and pray. And for those who are, who are not going through the test of the faith right now, I want you to look at them, and you don't know what's going on, but I want you to pray for them. Will you do that today? 
And I just want you to pray. So if you, if you need that prayer today, come forward today and, and, and we will pray as a congregation for you. And also, if, if you've been questioning whether or not you should accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you, you can come forward, you can come straight, come straight forward and come talk to me, or you can go to the back and talk to the men and women with that lanyard that says, ask me. But don't leave today without knowing for sure that you have eternal life. Let's go to Lord. And-